Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, I think it it depends on the it depends on the show, it depends on the writers, and it depends on the casting director. I think that there are lots of different kinds of television and film. I think for me, um, most of the stuff that I work on is about what's on the page first. So. It's really about realizing that world and that tapestry in the most authentic way you can, whatever the world is, and I've entered a lot of different ones. But I would say in this case, you know, there's a lot of mutual respect and collaboration between, you know, the writers and and um, Nina Noble and me to kind of keep going until we find what fits best. But it's absolutely about it's about the writing first. That was Alexa Fogel, the casting director for The Wire. I'm Dave. And I'm Kobe. And you're listening to The Wire Stripped. It's the podcast where we watch The Wire every week and then we talk about The Wire every week. Yeah, and the episode we're going to be talking about this week is season two, episode four, Hard Cases. That's right. Uh, and if you want to join the conversation, you can chat to us at The Wire Stripped. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can email us. It's burner at thewirestripped.com. And before we go into our chat as normal, just want to create a bit of space for one of our key contributors, Damon Gordon, who was a production assistant on The Wire. He's actually making a film, and he wants to tell you a little bit about it. Hey, my name is Damon Gordon, and I was a production assistant on HBO's The Wire. I'm actually working on a film called Sit Down For This, which stars many of your favorite Wire cast. So for more information and to make a small donation, go to Indiegogo.com slash sit down for this. Thanks so much in advance. Peace. He got the fire and the fury at his command. Well, you don't have to worry when you hold on to Jesus' hand. We'll all be safe from Satan when the thunder rolls. You gotta keep the devil way down in the hole. Ooh. 
right, Kobe, here we are looking out over the glorious Thames water. Yeah, it actually is glorious. A lot of people think it's stinky, but it's not. It's actually a really nice oh, place to hang out. Completely. If, uh, the sound you're hearing right now, possibly, is the uh, National Theatre. It's where we're, we're sitting outside. Uh, that's kind of what is it? Last calls for get back into the yeah to get into the, into the theatre. The, the show is about to commence, guys. Yeah, but we're not going to. We've already had our show. Absolutely. And our show was season two, episode four of The Wire. I love your segue. You like that? <laughs> it's so natural. Uh, it's called Hard Cases. Yes. Uh, it's a good episode, I think. Obviously, the arc follows. Um, after the aftermath of the Hot Shots and also Ziggy and Nick have got, come in some money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ziggy plus money Yeah, which is equals disaster. A silly combination. Well, I mean, let's start with, I think there is a lot to get through. I think the docs, uh, let's start with them. I mean, the episode opens with uh, with Frank. He's looking out over the water just, just as we are now. Mm? I really Absolutely. feel like we're just sitting in Frank's Emulating him, yeah. shoes here. Uh, you don't sit in someone's shoes. Why, would, why did I say that? Uh, so Frank's meeting, he's meeting Nick, and he's, he confronts him about the missing cameras. He yep. knows about the, the stolen container. He tells them to return them. Nick says they've already been fenced. And they, and they have this um, sort of really interesting sort of confrontation. I think um, Frank's, like, disappointed massively, but then he kind of... It has a sort of begrudging acceptance of the whole thing. And I think that's, how, that's how it used to be. They did actually used to do that quite a lot. Exactly, and Nick sort of alludes to that, doesn't yeah. he? He says, you know, this this was you back in the day. But I think what the difference is, and this is why this is why Frank Sabatka is such an interesting character, he, he says, this isn't about me, Nick. It's mm. never about me. And all the money that he has stolen um, or, you know, earned through nefarious deeds is going towards what he sees as a good cause, which is keeping the union alive. Keeping the union alive and keeping people in work as much as possible. And as they walk away, you know, Frank says to Nick, he says, all right, but you obviously know not to not to spend too much of the cash. Yeah. Uh, don't flash it around. Cut to... <laughs> well, then, that's it. And then, well, Nick relays that to Ziggy, just to make sure, <laughs> don't spend the money. Don't, I mean, spend it, but don't, no, obviously spend it. Yeah. Don't, like, buy a $2,000 <laughs> Italian leather jacket, for instance. What? The fuck did I tell you about not spreading no cash around? Jesus Christ, Nikki, it's a fucking code. I mean, I I can tell people I'm paying for it on installments or whatever. That's good. Bring it down. You got to admit, I do look pretty good there. I do. It's a horrible jacket as well, isn't it's, it? I think it's one of the worst things I've seen. Well, we've talked about fashion quite a lot in The Wire. <laughs> we do. Uh, he's topped it off with, like, a, a multicolored hippie hat yeah. um, and the leather jacket combo, which is, you wouldn't even wear, why would you even wear that when you're working? He's it, it, a hard labourer. That's what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. That's not the kind of thing you're doing when you're supposed to be bouncing in and out of the, of the different ships and the containers. He is a first-class idiot in this. And no disrespect to you, James. I think you're a great actor. Uh, but Ziggy is a first-class idiot. Um, have you seen, have you seen Goodfellas? Uh, yeah, not for a while now. But that's, I mean, that alludes to the scene when they when they do the Lufthansa heist, which is one of the biggest heists in the, in the film. Um, Jimmy Conway, played by Robert De Niro, says to all the guys, don't flash your cash. And then cut to the next scene, there's guys with brand new, you know, Cadillacs and things like that, and they've got the wives, the fur coats, and he, Jimmy just goes absolutely ballistic. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, that just reminds me of parallels to that in the scene. You must have so many people who want to get some money which they're not used to getting that feel they have to like throw around. And Ziggy just does it in a way that. What would you want? What would you want that jacket for? I don't know. He's just like, he he's got like a 
sort of a blatant disregard for money, I think. And I think partly it's just... I mean, I think, I think we could do a whole episode on Ziggy because I find him <laughs> a fascinating character. He's, he's, I think it's attention-seeking, isn't yeah, it? I mean, absolutely. everything he does is attention-seeking. Like, he's taking his penis out in the bar, yeah. you know? He's, like, he's buying big t- coats. I think it's, it's partly he's living in his father's shadow and he just wants to be noticed. And his father... You notice, you get very few scenes with Frank and Ziggy together because mm. he's almost like Frank just kind of ignores him. He's a pain in his side. I loved casting that season. I mean, I love casting most of them, but that was a lot of fun. This is the voice of Alexa Fogel, who is the casting director on The Wire. Uh, Ziggy. It was exactly like that on the page, and which makes it a real challenge. And there are roles like that where you see lots and lots of people, and um, it just doesn't quite work because it doesn't feel fully uh, real. And... James Ransone has got this incredible, crazy kinetic energy, and it just worked perfectly. Yeah, like he, he should be an artist. Here's our chat with Chris Bauer, who played Frank Sabatka. Nick, his nephew, is much more uh, the, the kind of kid that he'd like to think of as his son. And, um, you know, um, it's part of what's so tragic about the, the story, you know. Ziggy is um, like, you know, he's sort of like, uh, you know, he's like a baby bird in an abandoned nest. He's so vulnerable. And Frank does his best to try to immerse him in some kind of, uh, you know, safe protection. Um, But there's really nothing he can do about it. We also also get Nick and... uh... Ziggy meeting uh, the fence, the guy who took the cameras, George Double G Glicus. Yeah. Great name. Who tells them that he's after chemicals. So that's kind of a setup for. Yeah, so they, they, they were happy about what, how things went last time, and they're like, we want to keep on working with you. And obviously, when you're given a list of chemicals, you th- I mean, this day and age, post 9 11 and things like that, you're thinking terrorists and thinking bombs. And that's actually kind of heartened me in a way that they just didn't accept it the order without thinking about what it what it might lead to um so that's actually quite good well i think maybe ziggy would have taken it irrespective but nick had at least <laughs> yeah, he doesn't care <laughs> nick had some kind of foresight but until we, we talk a bit about the pay as well but nick um nick has different ideas doesn't he in terms of what to do with the money and sees it as a way to try and set up his life for himself with with his girlfriend and and child and daughter yeah this is i mean it, it, you're right. It's an interesting contrast with how Ziggy spends the money. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's literally Nick's trying to build a future. Ziggy's just trying to burn the world around him and <laughs> doesn't, doesn't care. It's like he do, he actively doesn't want a future or he's rejecting it. And um, there's a, it's kind of as I was watching this episode though, because there's a lot of Nick and his girlfriend Amy, and mm. he's trying to say, you know. Um, I want to, I want to get us a house and uh, I want to, I want us to have a future, but. There's also him and Ziggy are kind of like children, aren't they? They've been infantilized by the the lack of work and the lack of money because yeah. you've got that scene uh, where Nick and Amy are in bed together in his parents' basement. Yeah, yeah. And he tells her, you know, you got to sneak out the back. Yeah, it's exactly. like that's like a teenager. Definitely, it's like the start of more rats. I don't know if you remember that. Knock it off. But yeah, exactly. It's like you've 16 years old. You've snuck into your sweetheart's room, <laughs> yeah. managed to stay the night, but you've got to get home before your, your parents find out. And 
their parents find out. And even she points out, like, we have a child together. Yeah, exactly. Like, this, is, this should be okay. <laughs> like, but he's, like, he's in such a state of limbo. And, I mean, there's even, like, you know, he's living with his parents. His mom sends him to the, to the pub to call his dad. dad for dinner. Yeah. It's like, well, it's arrested development. It I is, guess, is it? totally. And what do you think about his, his intentions, I think, were very noble with the money. But I just thought... You can't. How are you going to buy a house? <laughs> it's like how I. I don't. I don't know. I don't know the house prices in that that part of Baltimore. But um, I just thought I don't see how one heist is going to give you a deposit and um, do all the credit check verifications that will allow you to buy a house, especially when you maybe get five days of work a month. So yeah, how's he going to pay the mortgage? Does he exactly. not know how mortgages work? Exactly. This is <laughs> this like- is the thing. I'm like, he's got more about him than Ziggy and other people, but at the same time. It just doesn't seem to fit quite right there. He's, he probably just hasn't been exposed to real, real world, real life. Yeah, he's well. Again, he's like he's coming at it like a child. Yeah, you know, wanting to be an adult and wanting to grow, but not really knowing how to do it. Like I, we we bought a house last year. It's like there's no way. It took us, <laughs> it took us years to get to this stage. There's no way he like rips off a few cameras and strolls into a house. Yeah, exactly. So. Nikki Sabatka. It's a real. It, he combines some really fascinating movements in the United States. This is Andrew Johnston. He's a podcaster and a lecturer. Like, Nikki Sabaka voted for Trump. No problem. Like, didn't even think twice about it. He's not only the victim, in a lot of ways, of the problems with unions, because, like, everyone is obviously struggling. Like, he's living around Locust Point, um, before Locust Point had been, I mean, uh, Locust Point for in, in the geography of Baltimore is like it's docks and then Fort McHenry. There's like nothing there. It, it, it's not even there's not even like restaurants, and it's just the houses of people who used to work on the docks. So he's not only this product of unions are having trouble, but he's also like a millennial. He's like an older millennial, and he's running into this global shifting economy where. All of us are kind of struggling, those of us who are in our 30s, to, to acquire the kind of means that we grew up expecting. Like we all grew up in the house where, you know, the, either dad and mom or just dad who doesn't, whatever your house situation is, like went to work, came back, and it was a three-bedroom house and the car, and like no one was necessarily rich, but they have these standards. And then all of a sudden he grows up and he's ready to go be dad to take on the next level. And he's just gone. It's just evaporated. Like he's, there's not as many ships coming in, but it's even compounded for him because he's low man on the totem pole, right? Seniority sucks unless you're senior is one of the lines <laughs> that they have. So we go back to the Jane Doe's case, uh, which I guess is the main driving force through this whole season. We're sitting in Bunk and Freeman and they're trying, they're trying to talk to Rawls and explain what happened and explain that they're doing the right thing. But Rawls just kind of goes, yeah, you fucked up by letting, <laughs> letting, the, letting the ship go, which is a bit harsh. But he's, Rawls, again, is, they're going to the stats and he's just thinking he's got these 14 bodies. He's got these 14 red names on his board and he's, getting, he's royally getting screwed over by everyone all in Sunday there. And he's not afraid to throw them to the wolves. No. Um, and he says, you just have to go and sort it out. And they go to 
the docks to try and intimidate Horseface. Horseface just stands his ground, which I think is a brilliant scene, actually. <laughs> yeah. He's a small, this small, stout guy surrounded by three police. Um, and he just goes, no, I'm, you're, not, you're not arresting me. I'm just going to stay here. Those are the whistles. It's for us. Yeah? yeah? It marked us the moment we stepped out of the car. <laughs> that's him. So that's Horseface? How do you get that name? You need a close-up? Thomas Pacusa. Yeah? He needs to talk to you about something. What? You were the check at work in the Atlantic Light when it docked a couple of weeks back, right? If you say so. You remember that container that came off that day? With all the dead girls? No. You don't remember all them dead girls in a can? Come on, horse. I remember when you found them all in the stacks. I don't remember that they came off the Atlantic Light. All right, let's take a ride downtown. Clear this mess up. No. Get the fuck in the car. Am I locked up? Get in the damn car. You want me in that car, you need to lock me up. And if that's the way it's going to be, then I want to talk to my shop steward. And he can have an IBS lawyer go with me. And I thought it was a really cool kind of scene and shows how, what they're used to, actually. The harassment, I guess, from the police. And they know what they know there. They know their rights. They know they know their rights, and they know how to get around it. And they're an, they're an immovable force. And yeah. they're, and they're like the 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 key word is union. You know, they're they're literally a union. Absolutely. And they all back each other up, and we get more of that later on. Um, and they can yeah they keep on they keep on trying to hassle him by going to Dolores's bar. Bunk doesn't let him choose the song he wants to choose on the jukebox. I love that. <laughs> It's like Bunk knows exactly where Ray, Ch- Ray Charles is on <laughs> <laughs> on every jukebox. <laughs> on every jukebox. Maybe the last time. Producer Tom here stepping in with a fact check. The track that Bunk actually plays on the jukebox is Maybe the Last Time by James Brown and the Famous Flames. And now the reason for the confusion is that Bunk said he hates that country shit. Not even Ray Charles can save it. That's because Ray Charles did a few country covers. Famously, his version of You Don't Know Me, which was the theme for Groundhog Day. I'll be back later. Yeah, this is when Sabotka and the guy's just like, why are, you, why are you hassling us? We know they don't know the time that they believe it's a murder. They still think it's, it's accidental, uh, accidental death. And when Sabotka, when Frank finds out, you can see his whole demeanor changes. He, he's literally not made for that, that side of things. That's not part of his, of his nature. Yeah, when he's confronted with the reality of it, it yeah. just hits him like a ton of bricks. I thought it was interesting. The, we, we opened this episode on Frank looking out over the water like we are now. And, you know, it's very, it's very, he, his, his eyes are kind of full of optimism and mm. hope and memories and nostalgia. And uh, we end the episode, uh, I thought it was really well put together with also with Frank, but he's looking in a mirror and he's almost, now he's been confronted with himself and right. his own actions. And he, and he vomits and he feels claustrophobic. I thought it was a really interesting sort of yeah, nice. comparison. Yeah, nice. Uh, I, like I like your thought pattern there. Yeah, I went deep, Kobe. <laughs> I put on my academics hat for this episode. <laughs> and, I mean, talk about going deep. This is Minolte is um, still on the boats, but still not wanting to be on the boats. And he's kind of taking this personally. He just doesn't want this lady he, who he found floating to have an unceremonious ending, um, even though it has been unceremonious at this point. He wants to give us some kind of fitting ending. And he, you know, keeps on, you know, spending time and evidence trying to find out more about her and finds, you know, a letter, doesn't he? I really like that. I, re- I really, because, I mean, we'd complained previously about how uh, 
the Jane Doe's were just being treated as, just as numbers. you said, yeah, yeah, just numbers. They're just red, red names on a wall, and nobody wants them. Nobody wants to deal with them. Nobody wants to find justice for them. They're just like fucking up everyone's stats. <laughs> um, but like, I, this is this is what I wanted, and this is what I like. Is like McNulty literally picks one of them and treats her as a human being and yeah. tries to let her family know. And it's like this is so good. It's just like this is Jimmy McNulty through and through. Yeah. It's like. He's the gaping asshole that Rawls <laughs> calls him and kind of everyone hates him and he's his own worst enemy. But like you, you scratch all that away and you've just got a, a, a good guy good trying police. to make a difference. Yeah, yeah he's good police. <laughs> and you mean, that manifests and take, he finds a letter in the evidence uh, as, you, as you wrote down in notes and he, t- he takes it around to try and find out more <laughs> information about her. Yeah, so he gets a, he, he goes to, I, I don't know, somebody who speaks... Um, Ukrainian, yeah, we don't know. It's someone who probably understands the Cyrillic alphabet. I think he just found someone who can yeah. under- decipher the letter. Church or something, wasn't it? She was like possibly, making, yeah, uh, priest's dinner or something. But uh, she's, t- you know, she's telling him uh, what kind of roughly what the letter says, and then she points to the end of the letter and she goes, "Here, it says her name. It's Nadia," and then points to it and he goes, "Ah, right, Nadia." And it's like. I know he's a good police officer, but like, does he not know how letters work? Like, you just gotta look. No, you mean the, the, yeah? That that would be where the name their is. Name at the end of <laughs> I never thought of that before. How to write a letter? Step six: Choose an informal or formal closing based on the recipient. Sincerely or regards works in nearly every situation. Write your name and sign the letter. Let's check in with the the Sabatka detail. Absolutely. Well, see what they're doing. At this point, it's a ramshackle detail with all the humps. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of lot of humps going around. <laughs> um, them humps. No, let's not do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> we see the formations of the of the guys getting back together. The team reuniting. Yeah, we're. This is kind of when they all start coming together. Daniels is back in the. Back in the driving seat, he meets, uh, he meets Burrell. Yep. And uh, I thought this this is a great scene because mm. this is, uh, you know, Daniel's knows straight away, like, <laughs> no way Burrell wants me back on this detail. <laughs> and he just calls him on it and he figures out, ah, oh, yeah, Valchek's behind this. And I think this says a lot about um, about Burrell again because he's, uh, he, he doesn't recognise the good police work that they did in, mm. in the first series like they, they brought in a case they did all this good for him they probably helped his career absolutely yeah but he just calls Daniels disloyal because he didn't play ball like it's, it's like he's like Valchek it's all about interpersonal politics and it's not it's never about the police work um, at this point we you know previous to this Daniels had declared himself out uh, just when they thought I was out <laughs> Burrell, Burrell pulls him back in <laughs> with um, with a clear progression a, a clear promotion strategy do this we'll make you major blah blah and it's like yeah okay well, well might piss off my wife but I think I, I can deal with that but he has a few extra terms absolutely yeah um, what are the terms yeah well he, uh, he you know he sees the opportunity he realises that Burrell's not pulling these strings hmm. Valchek's behind this so he sees some leverage and he's like yeah I want that promotion but I also want a major crimes unit yeah full time and, uh, and that's really cool actually because you see there that Daniels has Daniels has properly turned, and he wants what they did in season one to continue because they found it, he found it really valuable. Even though at the outset he was kind of like pissed off with this, what he'd been settled. saddled with. Yeah, exactly. But now he's got like 
he realizes the value of what they did and wants to yeah keep that going for if not just him but for anyone else going forward because it's important and that's what was so great about season one is that it all kind of happened accidentally yeah <laughs> and everything just kind of <laughs> came together and now they're like oh hey this unit is pretty good so daniels is like right I'm not getting stung again. You're not. I don't want no humps. Yeah. Uh, I'm picking my own people, <laughs> and that's how we get. You know, as you said, this is the band coming back together. Yeah. Slowly and surely. How about this? If I bring in a case, you make the detail permanent as a major case unit within CID. Fair enough. Just keep Valchek stroked and make sure you bring in a drug case or two. One other thing. A promotion and a promise of a specialized unit isn't enough. I choose my own people. Fuck me once, shame on you. <laughs> Fuck me twice. Make a list. Give it to Rawls. He'll pull who you want. And I guess analogous to that, in the band coming back together, we Daniels meets meets Kima, and she has to have the same conversation. They have the same conversation about their wives not being happy about coming back into the fourth force in the way they're going to. This is a uh, this is good actually because it's played for a. Uh, it's played for comedy, yeah, and I think it's done quite well. You know, there's a nice little sort of directorial flair with the camera panning across both of their wives, extremely unimpressed. <laughs> yeah, having the most uncomfortable conversations over dinner. Well, it was interesting because when you compare um, the relationships, like with Marla and um, Cedric, thank you, <laughs> and um, and Kima and Cheryl, it was like the younger version of that relationship. Here's Melanie Nichols King, who played Cheryl on The Wire. Marla was more about like, okay, so you have to, you have to achieve greatness within the police force. You have to achieve the highest level, and I will whatever machinations we need to to do to make happen. Then we're going. That's where we're headed. And and we, Cheryl and Kima, were at the stage where it was all brand new. And for me, especially, for Cheryl's character especially, it was really brand new to be involved with a police officer and was actually, was told at the beginning of the relationship that she was going to be studying law and totally get out of being <laughs> a police officer. And so that was like the, the, the um, uh, what's the word? That was the... Uh, the challenge between us for that first season of like, but you said that you were going to get out of this and why are you still in this? And, you know, and so she was trying, Cheryl was trying to get Kima out of the police force, you know, as opposed to trying to get higher into it and, and, you know, terrified that she was going to be hurt. And, and, you know, and then of course you have the, the moment when she does get hurt and it's just, you know, it's just like uh, a nightmare come true. So we've got Prez, Prez is there, we've got Chemo, we've got Herc, and we've got Daniels. The detail is nearly all back together, but yeah. no McNulty's allowed. No McNulty, which, <laughs> which is fair play, well, not fair play, but you know Rawls has got his beefs with McNulty and he doesn't like gaping assholes, and of which, <laughs> of which McNulty is the prime one. Also, Freeman's in there, but he doesn't get to join straight away. Hi guys, Graham from Sydney. When I first started watching The Wire and told a friend of mine about it, he said, if you can get past season two, then you'll find it really good. And I, I approached season two with a bit of trepidation, but 
I think it's it holds up as one of the best seasons because it's got more to it than just the drug trade. It's got the people smuggling, it's got the political and union intrigue on the docks, and it's got the fencing of goods. It's got all different kinds of crime. It's just a great season. Thanks, Graham. If you want to be like Graham, you can talk to us. You can talk to all our listeners by leaving us a burner message. Tell them how, Kobe. So you can leave a burner message uh, using WhatsApp voice memo. It has to be WhatsApp. You can't just leave us a voicemail, unfortunately, guys. The number for the burner is plus four four seven five three four eight three one six five. We need a jingle. Six five eight. Um, <laughs> someone, will someone write us a jingle. Someone, please, please write us this. Like it is the worst phone number. That's why. That's why it's untraceable. You. <laughs> <laughs> You've been <laughs> yeah, we requested the hardest phone number they had. Could we have the most difficult phone number you have, please, for our illegitimate burner phone podcast? Um, no, you people are talented out there. You're better than us. Go, can, please, somebody write us, write us a jingle for our phone number. That number again is plus four four seven five three four eight three one six. Five eight. Just you could even just take the sample that we just did yeah. and auto tune it or something. I don't know how these things work. That'd be amazing. Um, <laughs> or if you do, if you don't want to leave a WhatsApp voice memo, you can just record a, a voice memo and email it to us. The email is burner at thewirestrip.com. And the topic for this week's burner message: we want to know from you guys who is your favourite character in season two of The Wire. Producer Tom here. Now, should you want to take up Kobe and Dave's challenge and make us a jingle for our unrememberable, is that a word, phone number, and you wish to do it using auto-tune or something similar, then the raw audio without the music underneath of those guys reading the number is going to be at the end of the podcast. So please do make us that jingle, otherwise this will have been in vain. Okay, storyline four. Uh, so yeah, so we've got Bunk uh, Bunk's after McNulty to find Omar for the bird trial. Yeah. Um, so McNulty does what anyone would do if they were looking for someone. He just goes out in the streets and aimlessly <laughs> drives around, <laughs> hoping he's going to bump into him. But this is a bit. Weird. I mean, up until this Bunk, up until this point, Bunk had been saying to McNulty, "Like, where's Omar? Where's Omar? Where's Omar?" And McNulty just been saying, "I don't know where he is." At the start of this episode. Minotti says he's never lost sight of him, but then he goes out looking for him. I don't. I didn't quite <laughs> yeah, get that. Yeah, yeah, that's confusing. And also, he doesn't really do anything until he gets that voicemail from the prosecutor. Yeah, who's like, yeah, <laughs> oh, maybe you should, maybe you should get Omar. <laughs> um, but it wasn't. Yeah, as you say, he just hits the streets, does a few things, leaves business cards in burnt out vans <laughs> yeah, what? what was that is that like is that van uh, like a popular hangout point for Omar does, yeah does Omar just come back to that every single night <laughs> check for business exactly <laughs> it's like the worst bat signal isn't it um, and then yeah he comes across Johnny Weeks and Bubbles yeah, they're shoplifting yeah. Uh, headphones a lot of headphones they're, yeah their heist techniques have gone they've gone more Straight down the line, um, shoplifting, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, could be. yeah. There used to be a lot more sort of Looney Tunes uh, sort of approaches to it, but uh, yeah, now it's just yeah, pick up some, pick up some stuff and fence it. They're just walking into the shop with the big, with the big coats, which I'm sure, I don't know how they get away with it. 
It's still, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lovely simplicity to it. There all. is true. And I mean, and there, there's another sitcom I'd watch. I'd watch mm. a sitcom with Bubbles and Johnny Weeks. Oh, would it be a sitcom though? <laughs> It'd be quite grim. <laughs> it would be. It'd be a real dark sitcom. <laughs> it would be, yeah. You've been there, brother. You know how it works, Bubs. You're gonna need to pay taxes on this shit. <laughs> Taxation without representation. You don't want much. I need Omar. What Omar? You want us to wander around town looking for a crazy motherfucker with a shotgun? I mean, you go way back. It's a friendly thing. Yeah. He's a friend. You can find a motherfucker without us. Andre really brings out the Johnny and me. This is the voice of Leo Fitzpatrick, better known as Johnny Weeks. If without Andre, my character would have died like within the first 10 minutes of the show. It's like I needed Andre to work off. And, and he's a great actor in that way that he gives you material that you're like, I can do something with this. Andre just has this amazing thing about him where you want it. Like, I don't know if they had a storyline for Bubbles picked out. But once Andre became Bubbles, you're like, this guy, we, we want to root for him, you know? I suspect, because I can't be sure, but I believe that my character was supposed to die like three episodes in or something. Like, I, I believe I was supposed to die really early on. Um, and then for some reason, people really liked the rapport that me and Andre had and so they kind of kept bringing me back. But I was never considered um, like a regular character. I was always just kind of a, oh, we'll bring him in for this or whatever, which is why I always look completely different. My hair is always different. Like, cause I never expected to be on the show until about a week before. And they're like, oh, come on down. And I'm like, oh, okay. As bad as I am with technology around that time, I remember Dominic always giving me shit because I never had a cell phone because I've, I've always been bad with technology and they'd be like, well, how the hell are they supposed to reach you if you don't have a cell phone? And I said, well, maybe if I was working every week, like you guys, I could afford one, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So McNulty sees, sees the two of them and he says they have to pay, pay tax basically for getting caught out. He sees an opportunity. So he gets them. This is, I mean, actually this whole thing is very convoluted and roundabout. Mm. I mean, I kind of think they should, could have just cut to the chase and been like, McNulty knows where Omar is. And then he goes to him and then it's, then he finds it. Yeah. Like, it could have been. Why involve all this? Like all, is just to get bubbles and Johnny Weeks back in, I guess. It could have been made tighter. I mean, they, they, I mean, we talked about some of the key characters being sidelined and Bubbles doesn't get much of a look in this season. Um, I think this might be one of the few episodes we see him in at all. Maybe they just wanted to include him a bit, make sure we don't forget about him. Yeah, which which I get. And yeah. I think, to be fair, and we'll come to it later, I think I think there's a, there's quite a bit of that in season two, mm. it's, it's, uh, where things feel a little shoehorned in uh, for the sake of maybe the... Um, uh, David Simon and Ed Burns just a uh, love of the, the character or they or they just want someone in there rather than it serving the story and I think this is a good example where this doesn't really serve the story yeah it's just well it's just a bit of harmless fun I guess True. I mean I, I'm not really complaining it's just it's just you kind of wish they just cut out the middleman <laughs> uh, and they do find Omar or at least or at least Omar finds them because Bubbles is blabbing his mouth out to people in the drugs den like, have you seen Omar <laughs> and uh, one of um, Omar's new crew finds out 
Well, overhears this. Overhears um, the search. Can we can we acknowledge how incredibly lucky Bubbles got here? Absolutely. <laughs> like he had one job to do, and he just got happened to be in the one like smack house uh, where she was just hanging out. Is like, and then Omar also knows where he is. Like, I wish just people had mobile phones here. It'd be so much easier. <laughs> but they have pagers. Just page him. I think we um, we sort of admired him in a sense. This is the voice of Kelly Brown, best known as Kimmy in The Wire. We must apologize again for the slightly poor quality of the of the vocals here, of the recording, but we really wanted to get Kimmy in this episode. Um, you know, he's somebody that we had heard about. He was a, a popular person on the street already. He was somebody that had a, a reputation. And I think for us, you know, we, we seem to be wild children a little bit, you know, with Tasha hanging out the hanging out the car, hanging out the car while I'm driving off, <laughs> robbing people in the middle of the broad daylight. You know, we didn't care. We were just about like, you know, we're getting in, we're doing what we do, and this is what we do. So um, so for, for Omar to roll up on us out the woodworks, catch us in the cut, and, uh, you know, I feel like in certain ways he almost gave us an offer that we couldn't refuse. So, um, and then I think there also may be a sense of like, that's the kind of dude you don't really want to say no to. So if he's trying to link up with you, uh, option one is link up with Omar. Option two is <laughs> link up with Omar. <laughs> Those are the only options. Uh, this is particularly interesting about the character to me. The uh, the relationship between Levy and the Barksdale family, um, I, I got a I got a very clear clue um, in the very first script. Here's Michael Kostroff. He played the sleazy lawyer, Maury Levy. In the very first episode, Levy says, how many times do I have to tell you people the same thing? And I don't, I don't know how it is there, but the, the phrase you people, because I, I grew up with a lot of black people, and, I, and the phrase you people means a lot here in these states. And I, I made a decision about the character that he was a, an absolute racist, had no respect for black people, and was happy to take their money. And that sort of fueled the ugliness of that character f- for the whole time. Um, I, I think he he was disgusted by them, and uh, it made it, it made him e- even more hateful. You know, I think that every time they got in trouble, he was uh, he was delighted. That's what he did for a living. I think if if there wasn't this crime uh, going on, he'd be out of business. The Barksdale side in prison. Yeah. So in. Um Back in prison, the Barksdales are... Uh, it's the aftermath of the uh, the deaths. The hot shots. The last episode from the hot shots, yeah. And Avon, yeah, Avon lets it be known to, to D'Angelo that it's all in the grand plan. And if you just stick with me, boy, I'll, I'll take you places. Or at least strip some years off your 20-year sentence. He, I mean, he all but admits it to D'Angelo. I mean, yeah. D'Angelo's kind of... Uh, you know, he's too smart to not realise the connections here. Well, I think it's not just that. He has his morals yeah. that he stands by and even though it could take him time off take time off his prison time means he can you know at least see his kids sooner from outside being behind bars that's a terrible turn of phrase um, <laughs> being outside of Paris uh, being outside of prison <laughs> um, he's still he's steadfast with his opinions and he's like you've I don't want to be a part of this really it's quite like it's quite impressive I think D'Angelo in this season is like really sticking his guns um, and he's quite admirable yeah. to the fact because it's the easier thing to do really so you know I thought I thought that that, um, and this is why I thought that Avon was 
one of the one of the uh, the better characters. This is Damon Gordon, who was a production assistant on season two of The Wire. Um, from the show, I just thought that he practiced what he preached. You know, he was very much into family, and as and as sensitive as he could be to the needs of family, he could be cold and brutal when he needed to be as well. And he was going to protect his family at all costs, and that was you know proof. With the whole hotshot thing in prison, you know, giving, you know, prisoners, you know, the, the tainted drugs and setting the uh, prison guard up. You know, I thought all of that came to fruition and, and we saw how lethal and brutal he really could be and how smart he was. Absolutely, he was right. We talked to Antonio <laughs> D. Charity. He played the very unfortunate yeah. prison officer Tillman. Yeah, somebody needs to put him in his place. Yeah, you don't run things in here. We in charge up in here, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I think you know. Um, I understand Tillman, but I can't. But I can't help but think, dude, you got to see it coming. <laughs> like you, you got to know who you're dealing with. <laughs> it's like you ought to know there's gonna be some consequences to this. <laughs> ask 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 anybody; they'll let you know. You ain't the one to mess with, you know. If ever, if ever, if ever you're going to humble yourself and compromise, you'd want to do it with this guy. <laughs> they're working together, in truth. <laughs> they, 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 yeah, they're working in the same teams, running the same circles, dealing with the same people. That's how Barksdale was able to find his supplier. You know, you know, call it Stringo. You know, with this guy, it's no good. Let's, let's, you know, let's find where he's getting it from. He's getting it from Blind Butchie. Okay, now here's what we got to do. You know. <laughs> and meanwhile, we have Stringer. They're all still reeling us. The the their product on the street is weak and it's getting weaker. And Stringer tells their I don't know the manager of the of the where they where they cut the drugs. Yeah. I wonder does he have a job title? Yeah. Does he have a <laughs> cutting manager? Cuthouse uh, manager, shopping floor <laughs> Was manager. Was advertised on LinkedIn? Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, it just says make it even weaker. They just need to get be seen there really even though everyone knows their product is weak and they can't they can't really represent at the moment and interestingly Stringer tells him to dilute it anyway yeah uh, just carry on like business as usual but I mean all this is set up really it's going to come to a head absolutely soon one thing I'd like to talk about is uh, McNulty when he's listening to his voicemail he's drinking a bottle of Guinness What's wrong with a uh, with a bottle of Guinness? Well, I, it's no self-respecting Irishman would drink <laughs> a bottle of Guinness. Or cor- correct me if I'm wrong, any Irish people out there, but I think usually you go for the can because the can has got the little widget in there. Was a widget around in 2002, 2003? Oh, good, good question. Producer Tom here could not resist jumping in here with a fact check. Uh, widget is a device placed in a container of beer to manage the characteristics of the beer's head. Now, don't worry, this gets interesting. Uh, the original widget was patented in Ireland by Guinness. Now, the first patent for that was filed in 1969. Uh, this, is, this is where it gets good. Development work on a can system under the project name Acorn, which stood for Advanced Cans of Rich Nectar. But, alas, they couldn't get it to work. Work then restarted in 1984... The first samples of the product were sent to Dublin and they were labelled Project Dynamite, which did cause some delays before Customs and Excise would release the samples. Commissioning of the finished widget began in January 1988 with a national launch date of March 1989. 
Corby, did you notice that uh, Ziggy has his own name tattooed on his knuckles? I did do, and I, is that the first time? Because it's so it's so clear when you see him typing, but it was, we don't do we not see his hands before this scene? It's the first time I've noticed it. Yeah. So maybe you just got it done between episodes three and four. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like, like, oh, maybe he's, maybe he got the cash. Maybe so. Italian leather jacket. Yeah. Name tattooed on his hands. Check. Check. Yeah. Uh, and then God knows what else. SD card for for the camera. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh the of oh, the size of that thing. <laughs> How big is that? It's like it's like the size of a plane wing. It was so big. Can we talk about the technology in this episode? Actually, I noticed a few things. We so can that, do. That memory card was just enormous. Uh, McNulty obviously was checking an answering machine. They don't exist anymore. Um, did you notice Barksdale was playing an original Xbox on a portable DVD player? Was that what? Was that how it was connected, or was it? Yeah, it was one of those. Do you remember those tiny little uh, portable DVD yeah, players? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like eight-inch screen or something. Oh right, so it's plugged in. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because it, it was like it had a flip-top screen. Yeah, that's it. So it must have had a little like AV in yeah. board or something. I don't know. But anyway, I was looking at it. I was like jealous. I was like, I wish <laughs> oh, no, I had yeah. thought of that. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Hope you enjoyed their season two, episode four, hard cases. Please stay with us and join us for next week's episode, which we'll be talking about Undertow. I don't know yes. why I didn't like that. <laughs> you made it sound, you kind of sounded like a, a cheesy 90s trailer guy there yes. for a second. Undertow. In a world of toes. <laughs> One <Underneath>. toe. <laughs> um, big thank you to everyone, all the voices that you heard in this episode and throughout the season. Uh, you guys, uh, everyone who contributed, you really lift this show and make it sound better. So thank you. Yeah, and we couldn't do the contribution properly without the help from Sonics, uh, S-O-N-I-X, who are the people that help us to transcribe all of the interviews we do, which is plenty if you want to get 100 free minutes of sonic's transcription go to sonics.ai forward slash invite forward slash stripped and if you like our podcast art it was done by chris sutera and the season one graphics were done by izzy lawrence yeah you can get links to their websites uh, on the show notes thank you very much to martin and sam from the song by song podcast for the version of way down in the hole which you can hear right now and thanks to our third amigo producer tom the guy who makes this sound so good and the guy who checks all of the facts. Yes. Anytime you guys want to get in contact with us, please do contact us at The Wire Stripped. We are that social media tag at The Wire Stripped on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And we're having fun there and we're loving getting messages from you guys. Yes, thank you. And we're also loving reading the nice reviews that you guys leave us. So if you have a minute, please drop us a, a very quick uh, r- rating or review on, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It really does help us get found. Okay. Well, that's how for now, guys. Uh, see you next week. Thanks, Bye. everyone. Bye. The number for the burner is plus four four seven five three four eight three one six five. We need a jingle six five eight. Um, <laughs> someone, will someone write us a jingle. Someone, please, please write us this. Like it is the worst phone number. That's why. That's why it's untraceable. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, been, <laughs> yeah. We requested the hardest phone number they had. Can we have the most difficult phone number you have, please, for our yeah. illegitimate burner phone podcast? <laughs> Um, no, you people are talented out there. You're better than us. Go, can, please, somebody write us, write us a jingle for our phone number. That number again is plus four four seven five three four eight three one six 
0.58. Just you could even just take the sample that we just did yeah. and auto tune it or something. I don't know how these things work. That'd be amazing. Um, 